Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin. I'm in Belfast, and I'm a former chairman of the New York Spurs on Twitter at, at NYSpurs. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Smith, football journalist at Port Burnley. Hi guys, I'm Sam. Uh, I'm a contributor to the Crystal Palace fan site, The Eagles Beak, and you can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore cop. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, we're going to start with something that happened over the international break, which was, uh, I assume, solely due to Charlie Austin's protestations, uh, mm-hmm. accepting that they will implement VAR in the Premier League starting next season. Uh, were your guys' initial thoughts on this excitement, a little hesitation? Just where did that fall in the barometer for you? Uh, well, uh, generally, Kevin, I, I'm generally in favor of VAR, um, but I, as we've said before, it's only as good as the, the, the people who are operating it. And uh, again, the, the issue is with all uh, refereeing controversies and decisions is is getting that consistency right and making sure that uh, you know it, it it levels out as best as it can over the season. And obviously, you know there were there were some patchy uh, uh, records during the during the World Cup for that, but um, but I, th- I, th- I think at its heart, there's a consensus for a while now about two things about VAR. First of all, um, th- there's just too much at stake in the Premier League for a game to turn on an incorrect decision. Uh, and secondly, it's basically a farce when, when the officials at the match don't have as good a view of an incident as the fans sitting at home. And, and obviously, the number of camera angles gives the whoever's reviewing the uh, the incident um, in the in the box uh, the same view as the people sitting at home but I think for uh, this step forward we will have, we'll have learned from what happened in the World Cup uh, the application uh, of of how the referees communicate with each other and I think that's that's going to be the key is there has to be better communication with the fans on what's happening and how it's going to play out because if you remember, um, you know our uh, that FA Cup game against Rochdale last year in the snow when there were two or three VAR decisions that nobody knew what was happening. Yeah. That everybody stopped and we were looking for an instruction from the referee as to you know when the review was going to be complete. I mean that was basically a joke, and I, I, there was talk at the time that that was actually going to scupper uh, the potential for VAR to uh, to come into the league but generally i'm in favor of it uh if we get the consistency right we get the communication between the the officials and the fans right uh it can only be a positive thing yeah i think i'm broadly in favor of var as well um i think one of the concerns for me is that fans inside the stadiums have to be kept kept in touch with what's actually happening a lot of the time uh people obviously watching at home on tv know what's going on but the players have have no access to the replays and people inside the stadium have no access to the replays. So there can be a lot of confusion. Um, I think speed is also key as well. The main problem with VAR for me is that it slows the game down too much. But if we get officials who are confident using the technology and happy to be decisive after a couple of replays, normally you can tell. For a thing like a penalty or an offside, one or two replays is normally enough. Once you start getting into the realms of analysing things for a minute or two, then it's clearly in enough doubt that the original decision should just stand and we should just crack on. Um, I think speed speed is really of, of the essence. We don't want to lose what, what is great about football is that it's so fast-moving and, and that there's always something happening. I think it's, it's crucial that fans are in the loop and that these decisions are made quickly. But... 
it's undoubtedly the right thing to do for me. The Premier League, I think, is probably the last of the major leagues to do it now, and it has been pretty obvious that it it needs to be brought in now. It wasn't perfect at the World Cup, but I think it works well enough that it's now time for the, the Premier League to take that step. We've had it in La Liga, Liga and the Bundesliga, Serie A. There's, there's no reason for the Premier League to be lagging behind on this. Yeah, I mean, it's um, for me, it's quite interesting to see how my opinion on it's sort of evolved over the last couple of years. And I think it um, it's, it mirrors the way that a lot of fans have changed their view on it. At first, I was really sceptical about it. But now I'm kind of at the stage where I think, why not? Other leagues are using it to good effect and it was reasonably successful at the World Cup. I mean, it's 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 never going to be perfect. Um, there's a debate which kind of says that it gets rid of, um, of the element of human error, but I'm not so sure it does. Um, people are always going to disagree with the decision one way or another, but ultimately the system doesn't profess to be perfect. It's it's down to human interpretation, but it's sort of based on on getting rid of the majority of false game-changing decisions and sort of making sure the correct one's made. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd echo what these guys have said. Um, the only thing I'd say is that it can eliminate something for the fan, possibly. I mean, being in the ground, sort of celebrating or not celebrating a goal, only for that decision to be reversed after a minute or so of deliberating can kind of take away some of that that raw emotion that comes in that that comes in that moment. Um, but I mean, if there was a way around that, where that meant playing playing the replay on a big screen that all the fans could see, that could add an element of drama. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, the technology is there, so why not use it? Yeah, I'm really interested to see if we will see goal tallies surge. If, if especially like the penalty takers for each club will all of a sudden be getting an extra five or so goals a season just based on the rate increase we saw at the world cup uh with how many penalties were being called but uh i think on the whole i I agree with you guys that it it was the right decision and i'm very glad that aside from the first time there's a major mess up with it next year during the premier league season we don't have to keep talking about this uh alternatingly throughout the season um Mourinho came out uh this week and said that he thinks manchester united could be in the top four by the end of this year uh do you guys think that's true and regardless of whether you think there and it. Who do you think will be in the top four? Uh, well, what else do you expect them to say? And I think I, I think it it is actually a possibility that they can uh, they can make into the top four. I mean, they have, especially when the pressure's on them. When you, your crosstown rival is the team that everybody says is going to win the league. I mean, what else do you expect them to say? Well, we're going to aim for fifth this year. Um, you know, they've certainly got the players to uh, to get into the top four. And, and I, I thought it was I can't figure out what's going on in his head when he talks about this lack of heart with some of his players, whether that puts extra pressure on them. He knows how they're going to respond to it um, or not. I don't know whether it's just it just came out of frustration. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's perfectly it's perfectly possible that they'll be top four by the end of the season. I, I mean, if we saw anything uh, from this weekend, especially at the bottom, which is a really interesting uh, uh, conundrum as well. I mean, Huddersfield went from bottom to 14th in the space of one win. You know, you put two or three ge- a good a good run of two or three games together, and and you know the the world's your hamster. But I think um, in terms of uh, who who I think are going to um, going to win this year. I think it's still too early to talk about uh, how the top four is going to shake out. I think it's pretty fair to say that that City and Liverpool um, will will finish one and two. I'm not sure uh, in in exactly which order just yet. Uh, and then I think it's the it's the uh, familiar suspects, the usual suspects for the next four places. And it's you know us, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Man U to basically contest uh, the top six. But um, I, I just think it's still too early to to see how that's going to. An awful lot is going to uh, depend on European commitments as well, and we'll uh, you know we'll talk about a little bit about this when we talk about uh, Spurs' game with Inter coming up. Um, uh, the, the 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 sort of commitment that a team has to uh, how far they get in the Champions League is going to going to play a big part. Uh, on the final placings, but yeah, I, I, it, for me, it's the uh, it's the usual suspects in the top six places. Yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be a surprise name in there either. I don't think any of the the teams that are sort of on the fringes of that top six are going to be strong enough no to, the to push the you? top four. No, I think Bournemouth are having a, an amazing season, and I think they'll probably 
improve on what they did last season again. Everton have got a lot of potential. I think there's the bones of a very good team there, but I don't think they're really Champions League contenders at the minute. That gap seems to be vast. And I think it's the gap that's that's going to do for, for United. They're already seven points back, is it, from Chelsea? We've only had 13 games, so it's a lot to make up. Um, I think Steve's point about Europe is very valid. Obviously, Chelsea and Arsenal are in the Europa League looking like uh, they're going to go through Chelsea already through, I think. Is that true? Um, so they're going to have more matches, an extra round in the Europa League as well. So the games are really going to mount up for Chelsea. And I'm not sure they and Arsenal have the squad to really handle that. Um, we've seen in the past teams that have gone a long way in the Europa League start to concentrate on that because I think it's a, a better route to the, the Champions League qualification than finishing in the top four. And it's possible that... Arsenal or Chelsea come to that conclusion at some point. Obviously, Unai Emery has a lot of Europa League experience. He won it three years in a row at Sevilla. He knows the competition very well. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Arsenal had a couple of bad results in the league and started to look at the Europa League as a, as a more attractive proposition. United did exactly the same thing um, when they prioritised winning the Europa League under Mourinho and, I think, it's possibly something that's going to become more common. In terms of the top four at the end of the season, I, I agree with Steve. It's probably too early to make a call on that right now. It is starting to look like the title race is going to be City or Liverpool. City look incredibly difficult to stop right now, but Liverpool look like they're going to be the main challengers. As for Tottenham, it might come down to whether they qualify in the Champions League or go into the Europa League. And if they do drop into the Europa League, if they're the then decide to sack it off or actually give it a really good go. Um, these are all things that are going to become a bit clearer in the next few weeks, I think, as the, the first phase of the European com- of the European competitions comes to a close. But if I was to nail my course to the mass right now, I think the top four as it stands uh, to sit on the fence and use another cliche uh, hmm. is probably how it's going to be at the end of the season. I don't see Arsenal being in the top four and I don't think United can do it either. Yeah, I mean, going back to um, going back to Mourinho's quotes, um, I kind of I, I took that as him saying that they'll be in the top four come come twenty nineteen, come January. Um, I mean, it, it's something that he had to say. You can't be the manager of Manchester United and say you're not gonna you're not gonna be pushing to get into that top four. Um, we'd come out and said, and now I think we'll be sort of sitting in this top six, this position we are now, one point ahead of Bournemouth and Watford. That would kind of that'd be catastrophic. But I think um, I think. I think looking at it from the outside, there's not really any indication whatsoever that there's belief from either the players or the fans that, that they are going to get into that top four. I mean, even just going back to yesterday when we when I went up to Old Trafford for the Palace game and um, was walking up to the ground with a couple of United supporters and we were talking score predictions. Um, it was almost like talking to fans of a mid-table side. Um, they had no confidence uh, in kind of walking over us or winning 2-0, putting three past us. Um and it's kind of reflected in the atmosphere at the ground. You kind of associate Old Trafford um, as a kind of jubilant place under under Alex Ferguson when there was all that title success. But now it's kind of a, a hub of negativity that kind of permeates down to the pitch. Um, and yeah, I just think there's a real lack of belief that Mourinho is the man to turn this round. Uh, and I really think they're on a path to nowhere under, under him. I could easily see them finishing outside that top four come the end of the season. Um, in terms of the favourites, obviously, as the guys say, I think it's City, Liverpool and two others from those three at the moment. Um, in the last couple of years, you might not have included Arsenal in that conversation, but they seem to be a lot more resilient under Emery. I mean, you just look at today's game against Bournemouth. Um, even the game against Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, those games that under Wenger, they might have been losing, um, but they've kind of got a bit more character about them now. And they seem to be pulling out results when not playing particularly well. Um, Chelsea's result yesterday against against you guys um, will probably serve as a bit of a wake up call that Sarri isn't Sarri isn't necessarily going to change things overnight. They haven't they didn't add hugely to a squad that didn't make the top four last year, but um, but again, when they look they look like a formidable force, they can still get in there. But the guys that um, that keep surprising me are Spurs. Uh, obviously, a lot of a lot of people wrote them off ahead of the season due to the lack of transfer activity. But I mean, guys like Sissoko are stepping up now. Lucas Moura, having had half a season under his belt, looks a better player. Obviously, going forward, you've got Kane, so it's an exciting team to watch. So I think um, I think Spurs are a side that I'd nail in there at the moment. The ones that I'd really worry about are United. Yeah, I think it is a pretty interesting race 
with Arsenal included, I, I think they might have the goal scoring to be able to sneak into that conversation, um, regardless of what happens at the back. But uh, I, I think Jamie's shout of it potentially just ending in some combination of the current four with probably City on top is uh, is probably just about right. Uh, we'll finish with another th- uh, thing that happened over the international break, which was right after us having a show about who uh, was going to be sacked first in the frame of uh, no one's been sacked yet. It happens at Fulham as uh, Slavisa Jokanovic is replaced by Claudio Ranieri. Um, curious to get your guys' thoughts on the appointment at the time and now that we've seen them uh, notch their first win under the new manager. Well, as you say, it was funny. We were having that conversation with Russ uh, last time I was on, just uh, talking about, yeah, he, they'll probably get uh, – Shahid Khan will probably give him a few more weeks to, to get the get the ships uh, straight. But uh, but if you've got the opportunity to get somebody like Rani Arian, who has incredible experience, uh, the, the man's a Premier League winner, then, uh, of course, you, you pull the trigger as best you can. Um, it's possible, you know, the, the, all the things we said about how – uh, again, all they need is a couple of uh, couple of solid wins back to back. Get Mitrovic firing again, uh, which he obviously he was yesterday. Uh, get Sessegnon playing with a wee bit of confidence and give him uh, the sort of support that he needs. Um, and and Ranieri, you would think is exactly the is exactly the man to be able to get the best out of out of those players. Uh, I would imagine if I was Mark Hughes right now, I'd be looking over my shoulder and and looking around to see you know who else is out there that might make a more um, uh, might be a threat to my job uh, because the timing in replacing your manager obviously is is crucial and you don't want to leave it too late. So we'll see. But uh, no, good luck to Ranieri. I've always liked him. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, what might be on Hughes' side is that they've got Manchester United and Chelsea in the next two games. So they might just see it as we're going to lose those games anyway. You don't want to bring a new man in and lose the first two games. So he might well have a couple of weeks. Um, Firstly, like Steve, absolutely delighted to have Claudio back. Breath of fresh air, fantastic to have him back. I can't wait to hear some of the sound bites he comes out with <laughs> over the course of the season. As a football writer, an absolute dream to be able to write about Claudio Ranieri. He's so entertaining, so wonderful to have him back. Um, I think it it was probably coming for Jukanovic as soon as Fulham got promoted. Um, I didn't see that much of them last season. Obviously, they did brilliantly in the Championship, but he also left Watford immediately after they got promoted to the Premier League. So maybe there's just something in him that's not quite cut out for for the English top flight. Um, I saw a couple of their games, and defensively, they were just an absolute shambles. Jukanovic was changing the back line, changing the goalkeeper seemingly every week. He didn't appear to have a grasp of anything like he's his best team, certainly his best defence. And it just seemed like he was throwing things at the wall and hoping something stuck. Um, so not really surprised that they made the change. I think the the thing that did raise a few eyebrows was that they did it all in one go. Um, appointing Ranieri at the same time as sacking Jukanovic. Certainly some people within football didn't think that was really the right way to do it. Um, and I understand why... why that view is held but it is quite common in Europe on the continent in Italy in particular when someone is sacked it's normally announced at the same time who's going to take over obviously it doesn't look great if you've been having talks with someone about a job that someone already has evidently they've been planning to sack Kanovic for some time these things take time to organize so I think that's a little bit of a sour note but I think Ranieri is a really good appointment. They need someone to motivate them. They need someone to organise them. And he's brilliant at both of those things. As a Burnley fan, it's concerning because Fulham will like they might well get out of it now. But really happy overall to have Ranieri back. Yeah, I think it, I think it just kind of goes to show that whatever you achieve in your previous season as a manager counts for nothing if you aren't kind of if you aren't delivering the results the, uh, the next time round. I mean. It, even the fact that it was Ranieri who replaced Jukanovic, you look at him, he won the Premier League and then, what was it, eight months later he'd been sacked by Leicester. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you could easily argue that he'd earned the right to more time, given the way he kind of transformed Fulham, the way that they play, took them back up to the Premier League, playing this really attractive, exciting style of football. Um, but it kind of it kind of goes to show the, the, brutal, the brutal nature of top-flight football in this country. Um, I mean, one thing I've learned from supporting Palace in the, Prem, in the Premier League over the last few years is that 
if um, if owners of bottom half teams are sitting on their hands for too long, they risk being cut adrift. So um, so sometimes sentiment does have to go out the window, and you have to make a decision which you think is going to be beneficial, even for just a kind of a twenty game spell, because. I mean, staying up and upsetting a few of your fans along the way is far more valuable to a club than kind of staying loyal, giving it a good go, but then still going down. Um, I mean, it's no, it's it's no quick fix at Fulham. I mean, their defence, as as a, as Jamie pointed out, has been pretty shambolic this season, um, and even leaking two goals at home to a Southampton side which isn't renowned for its goal scoring, isn't great. But um, I mean, I think if if there's anything that Ranieri showed at Leicester, it's that he can he could get the best out of a fairly average back four, um, which was kind of just kind of reflected in that Premier League Premier League winning season when they were sort of going to places, holding on to one goal leads. And if he can kind of if he can get Fulham to do the same thing, then they should be all right, I think. Yeah, and I know some Fulham fans were a little disappointed to see Jokanovic go kind of along those lines of maybe expect a little bit more loyalty for the man that got you promoted. Um, but I think, uh, as Russ said in the segment that we did with him after the hire, uh, maybe it wasn't the right call to sack Jokanovic, but hiring Ranieri was the right call. Um, I thought that was a very nice way to, to kind of define that, that split. Mm. All right, now we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back uh, with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Steve, we'll start with you. Um, Harry Kane scores a goal from distance yesterday. Some people blaming Luis, some people blaming Aritha Balaga. Uh, not a whole lot of people giving credit to Kane, um, who has looked out of sorts at times this season, but the goals are still coming. Uh, what have you made of his season thus far? It, it's been patchy so far, to be honest with you, and I think also his uh, slightly off-colored uh, performances for England have sort of played into that but but just to go back to the goal yesterday and I thought it was really interesting um, a couple of people have have made reference to the fact that Kante was being played out of, out of position completely for Chelsea and I, I, I couldn't understand that at all you want someone like Kante who's able to close down uh, players like Kane in exactly that situation. I mean, Luis had a, just a shocker of a game yesterday. I don't know, you know, where he was going when uh, he just ran completely past Son for that uh, for that third goal. But um, no, no, Harry has Harry is consistent. But we've always said, haven't we, Kevin, that even when Harry's not scoring, it's what he gives you uh, as a support player. The 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 way he can drag defenders away from other players especially now with with Deli Alley and Ericsson you know back after injuries and and starting to look like the players they were last season uh they sort of rely more on on Kane to open up space for them as well uh added to that I mean he is just the sort of perfect opportunist striker and he will take an opportunity whenever he whenever he gets it apart from the one that he blazed over the bar yesterday which was just that was uh, a classic classic <laughs> But um, no, I mean it's it's what you'd expect with Harry. Uh, he starts slow to the season, and then he gradually picks it up. I I, I think, and I don't know what the, the other guys think. The number of international breaks now is is really frustrating, especially in the in the period before Christmas, uh, when you you your rhythm as a Premier League team is disrupted completely. Uh, and I think you know, in a way, Harry suffered a little bit from that um, uh, recently, but. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, he's he's there. He's a constant source of goals for us. And I think somebody mentioned it earlier about the uh, the criticism of Spurs for the, you know, the lack of transfer signings over the over the summer. And that's still a, that's still a valid point. Uh, we still don't have the strength in the squad. I mean, Lorente is is 
as adequate a backup as he can be for um, for teams that where he should be able to come on and, and do well. But uh, we are still in a position where, you know, if, if something happens to Harry um, in conjunction or in partnership with uh, one of the other uh, main uh, playmakers, then um, then we're we're struggling. So fingers crossed, Harry. Stay safe. <laughs> Yeah, and kind of staying in the attack, uh, you mentioned Erickson and Deli coming back. Um, Sam mentioned Lucas earlier, who misses his first match of the season uh, this week, not because of injury, just because everybody's coming back. You have Sun in play as well. You have Lamella, who obviously came off the bench and pulled off a couple of sweet skills. Uh, in your mind, what is the best combination of those players in attack for Tottenham? Uh, well, uh, for me, it's it's Son to start every time, but there is that sense of that we've talked about this before that triumvirate of Lamella, Son and Mora who uh, depending on who we're playing and the style of team that we're playing against you can slot two of those three in at, at any stage or bring them on or bring them off the bench to to um, to back Harry up but for me uh, it, it would be uh, Son that would, that would always start he would always be my first choice Fair enough all right, coming to you now, Jamie, to talk about Burnley. It's been a while since you've been on, but unfortunately not a lot of wins since then either. Um, still not in the relegation zone because uh, there are plenty of players, uh, plenty of teams that have fewer points. But uh, what have you made of your season thus far? And for people that aren't as familiar with Burnley, what, what's happened compared to last season? Yeah, I mean, it's been a struggle. And I think um, qualifying for the Europa League is always going to be a big factor in this season and it's very easy to turn around and say well they were in the Europa League they didn't have the squad to cope and and that's that's the factor um, that's the reason behind the bad results but we've been out of the Europa League for two or three months now and the re- results are still bad so I'm not sure how much longer we can get away with blaming the Europa League um, for me though one of the things that the Europa League has perhaps affected the, the squad is that Pre-season had to obviously be affected. We were playing our pre-season matches around the Europa League qualifiers and I'm just not convinced we were prepared well enough for that sort of challenge, having the competitive games while players are still getting up to speed. Um, If it was down to me, and with the benefit of hindsight, I think we should have started pre-season probably two or three weeks early, being ready to go for those Europa League qualifiers instead of treating them as sort of a halfway house between friendlies and then the competitive action of the Premier League. If we'd done that, we might have got into the group stage and that would have been a whole other challenge. But for me, the approach was wrong. Um, leaving that to one side, though, because it's it's been and gone, it's quite obvious that defensively we've just been nothing like the Burnley that you would expect under Sean Dash. Conceding five at City, all right, teams can do that. But to let four in at home to... A Chelsea team that didn't even have to play that well and still beat us 4-0 and then to concede four at West Ham all in a row this isn't what Burnley do um, we did get back on track a bit before the break with a 0-0 draw at Leicester that game was obviously completely overshadowed by the helicopter crash and all the tributes and everything that Leicester were doing doing extremely well by the way I must say around that game the game was an afterthought really but we were more solid in that game. So hopefully for Monday's game at home to Newcastle, which is, is massive now, if you look at the bottom of the table, it's so congested, hopefully that will be a positive sign. Um, aside from blaming the Europa League, which everyone seems to want to do, we have had injuries. Lots of teams have injuries. Yes, that's fair to say, but Robbie Brady, Stephen Defoe, both been out since basically the start of the year. Both of those players are back in the team now. Ben Gibson, we set a joint club record signing to bring him in in the summer to add a bit of competition at the back. He's not been able to play, really. He's been injured for most of the season. Gibson's almost ready to come back now. So hopefully those three are going to give us a bit of a boost and we can start looking up the table. But Monday's game is going to be absolutely massive with the how tight it is at the bottom with all those teams and I think some Burnley fans now, having seen, especially Huddersfield's win at Wolves today, that's really tightened it up, we're probably starting to get a little bit concerned. If we were to lose to Newcastle, then it could be panic stations. 
Yeah, um, I wanted to touch on tactics a little bit because you've played in the four four one one or four four two in literally every match this season. Do you think maybe to kind of deal with the fact that you have been leakier at the back um, and the, still aren't scoring buckets of goals, maybe a change could be made in your approach to matches? Um, it's, it, it is possible. The, the difficulty for us is always going to be that there's just not that many options. Um, I think Dash does prefer to have two strikers, if at all possible, or certainly one midfielder pushing on to be the one in behind, as you say. Um, now that Defoe's back, I think it is probably time to have a rethink. We had some really good results last season playing with three in central midfield um, and just one up front on his own. And maybe we could look at, at doing that again. For me, Stephen Defoe is one of the the best players Burnley have had in the modern era by a long way and he should be playing as close to the opposition penalty area as possible we seem to use him in the back of our midfield keeping things ticking over trying to set the tempo a similar job to really what Jack Hook could be doing I think Defoe would be better used as the most further forward of the three in midfield pushing on to become a sort of number 10 where he can be creative where he can unlock the the defence so yeah, I think maybe a bit of a rethink, but Dash doesn't like to change his mind very often, so I'd be surprised if, if he decided to go that way. Interesting. Can you think of anything that would turn things around? It's hard to say. I mean, it's not that bad right now. We're not in the bottom three. I don't think we've been in the bottom three all season, apart from maybe a day or two. Um, there's a lot of pretty bad teams in the Premier League this season so I don't say I'm overly concerned at the minute, we've got to remember that this is essentially the same team that finished 7th last season so mm. I'm happy to assume that at some point results are going to improve, there's some players that have been underperforming really badly this season, uh, Ben Mee in particular has been extremely poor um, Jack Hawke who I rate really highly, he's not really hit the same levels as he was last season either so I think now that those players that I mentioned are back, Brady, Defoe, Gibson coming back, um, Cork and me start to book up their game, I think we'll probably be fine. It's it's always going to come down to the games against the teams around you in the table. So Monday against Newcastle's going to be massive. They don't score a lot of goals either, although they had a really good win um, a couple of weeks ago, didn't they, with Rondon scoring a couple. So it's going to be massive. And uh, if we can win that one, I think we'll start looking up the table. And if we lose, then it's going to be a long season. Yeah, coming to you now, uh, Sam, to talk about Crystal Palace. Uh, obviously, a lot has been made about the issues in attack this season, uh, and that certainly will not stop here or now, uh, as you currently have the fewest goals in the Premier League with eight. Um, kind of like we were just saying with Jamie, is there any way to turn that around? Uh, I didn't actually know that, so thanks for letting me know that. <laughs> Sorry? Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it is very concerning, especially considering how kind of freely we were scoring goals at the end of last season. Um, I think what's been underestimated quite significantly, um, maybe among Palace fans and sort of people looking in from the outside, was the departures of Ruben Loftus-Cheek and uh, Johan Kabay. Um, Kabay was really important to us for kind of keeping the ball moving, keeping us ticking over and lost his cheek as I think he's kind of shown on a few occasions that he's played for Chelsea this year as an outrageous talent and um, going forward he kind of just added another element and was one of those players he kind of took a bit of pressure off Zaha so that sort of gave Zaha a lot more freedom to kind of get on the ball when he didn't have two or three players around him um, because they'd be worrying about lost his cheek Townsend whoever else but um, the big problem for us at the moment is the lack of striker I mean I know, I know people have made a lot of Benteke's sort of poor goal-scoring record over the past year or so, but um, I personally think there's so much more to his game than that in terms of the way he's capable of occupying two centre backs um, and again alleviating some of that pressure. When you kind of when you've just got Zaha in town and up front, it doesn't really give you a lot to aim for, and you're kind of getting it to them with their back to goal about 40 yards out and just hoping for a miracle, basically, which Zaha produced once this season with an outstanding goal against Huddersfield, but he's not going to do that every single game. Um, our, alter our alternative options to that are Jordan Ayew, who hasn't scored since joining online from Swansea. 
Alexander Sorlot, who came on against Spurs and missed a very presentable chance later on to get us a point. And Connor Wickham, who's been out for the last two years, and every time every time it looks like he's threatening to make a comeback, gets injured again. So, I mean, yeah, in answer to your question, there's not really an obvious solution apart from getting our strikers fit, um, getting Benteke fit mainly, or waiting until January and going, going big on one. Yeah, well, fortunately, it doesn't cost you uh, at the weekend as you do pick up a draw against Manchester United. What was your view of that match? Yeah, I mean, it was it was probably the best I've seen us play all season. Um, it brought to an end that kind of run of fixtures where we played um, yourselves, Arsenal, Chelsea, and finishing with United. I mean, we've only got two points to show from those four games, but I don't think there was any fixture where we sort of got massively outplayed. I thought against you guys, against Spurs, we gave a reasonably good account of ourselves, just never looked in any danger of scoring. And that's kind of been the main problem. I think we've managed to contain sides reasonably well. The back four have been pretty solid. Um, Wayne Hennessy's been stepping up a lot more than he has done in recent seasons. Um, but because we aren't scoring goals at the other end, there's just so much more pressure on that back four keeping a clean sheet. Um, but it was good to see yesterday kind of us take the game to United a little bit. And I mean, um, obviously we had Coyote's header disallowed. Townsend missed a bit of a sitter, which I've been replaying in my mind several times so god knows what he's been thinking about um but but yeah no it was like i say our best performance in the season i think and to go to old trafford um a place where we haven't won since 1993 or something maybe even earlier than that uh we certainly haven't got a point in manchester since getting promoted um so yeah it felt like a step in the right direction yeah, then another question um, coming into the season was going to be who your starting goalkeeper was going to be. You finally go out and get Gaeta, who you had been kind of following for at least 18 months before you ended up signing him. But then it's been Hennessy all season. Has that been received well by the fans or are people wanting a swap sometime? It's divided the fan base. Um, I think the problem is that Hennessy spent two or three years being so bad that um, there's this kind of agenda against him that even now he's kind of that now he's playing well, making sort of game winning saves. He made a couple of really good ones yesterday, one off Lingard and then Lukaku sort of angled a header towards the back post at the end of the game yesterday and he got across really well to stop that. Um but one of the things with Palace fans is once they sort of make their mind up on someone, it's fairly rare they're gonna change it. So um a lot of people have kind of been saying that he's essentially doing what what you would what you'd expect your starting Premier League goalkeeper to do. But um, we haven't really seen enough of him to suggest um, that he is actually good enough to replace Hennessy at the moment. If the guy is playing well enough, then there's no reason to drop him. So that's the way that's that's the way I see it. And it's certainly not the way a lot of Palace fans see it. But I'm happy for him to keep hold of the gloves, so to speak, as long as he's keeping clean sheets and playing well. Yeah, do you think that he would ever... Could he do something so wrong in a match that he would be pulled, or do you think it would have to be an injury to open up the door for your uh, relatively new signing? I think it would have to It would have to be a, cons- a long spell of bad form for him to get dropped again. I mean, there was a point last season when he wasn't playing particularly well. Hodgson, Hodgson basically showed he wasn't afraid to drop him by bringing in Spironi. Um, but I think the main thing that Hennessy is benefiting from is having a pretty solid back four in front of him. Um, there's always been... Uh, Tompkins and Sacco whenever they play together it's kind of no secret that we're a much more kind of solid outfit uh, Juan Basaka at right back as everyone knows has been really good this year I think Patrick Van Arnholt is probably one of the best left backs outside of the top six um, so I think Hennessy kind of that sort of gives him a bit more confidence having that back four in front of him and yeah I think um, as long as that back four stays fit as long as he kind of keeps putting in the performances he has done of late. I'm not sure there was, there's any need for Hodgson to drop him, and I don't think I feel inclined to either. All right, uh, now let's head into Player Watch, where this week we're going to be talking about fan favorites. So we'll be starting off with you, Steve. Uh, I imagine Sissoko has to get a shout. <laughs> yes, yeah, you read my mind. Absolutely. Uh, but I was going to say, the wonderful thing about this Spurs team at the moment is that the, the, the favorites are pretty much spread. I mean, it's not just Harry, it's not just Deli Ali, it's not just Christian Eriksen. We mentioned the, the triumvirate of Lamellison and Moura. Everybody 
loves every one of those players. And and the nice thing also at the moment is um, we've got these two young Argentinian players, Gazaniga and Foyth, who are starting to make an impression, uh, obviously, they under... They've got call-ups. Uh, absolutely, yes. And and when you consider, you know, the mixed the mixed record of Foyth's uh, uh, debut uh, performance in the league, that was... Uh, uh, it was good that it was good that it hasn't damaged his confidence. Let's put it that way. And also, Davinson Sanchez has, has really uh, started to make a make a mark with the fans. But yes, I mean, Spurs fans since since we signed Musa Sissoko have this love hate relationship with him, uh, and it's it, it, it the needle varies from either side depending on you know what he does and and the 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 game that with that has just finished. And I, I gotta quote this. There's a beautiful piece of writing in the Independent today. Uh, by Jonathan Liu, and uh, he writes about um, Moses Sissoko weaves Chelsea into his dizzying vortex of chaos. And uh, uh, there's a line in it that says, part of the reason that it's so hard to get a handle on Sissoko, I think, is that he al- always looks so utterly startled to have the ball at his feet. Every time he gets it, he stares at it for a moment, as if this were a turn of events he had scarcely bargained for. Why did none of you warn me? You can see him beseeching his teammates while he gamely grapples with this mysterious white orb bubbling off one of his many legs. <laughs> if you get a chance, do check it out. It's a lovely piece of writing. But it, it kind of sums up um, how Spurs fans feel about Sissoko. You know, he, he, it's like uh, it's like Stefan Freund uh, all over again sometimes. Um, you know, you know he's not the greatest player in the world, but uh, but he tries hard. So, you know, he's he's always... Uh, always, the, let's let's put it this way: if not a favorite, he's certainly always the topic of conversation. <laughs> That's certainly uh, for sure. We'll come to you now, Jamie. Who's a fan favorite at Burnley right now? Uh, it's a tricky one because, like I mentioned before, I think a lot of our better players and a lot of the players that are popular with fans have underperformed quite badly this season. But one of the guys who has been really consistent is Johan Gudmundsson. I've been a fan of him since we signed him really delivers excellent performances game in game out he's crossing he's fantastic his set pieces are very good and he's been extremely important for us this season i think it's getting to the point now where he's so good so consistent hitting those levels all the time that we're going to start worrying about when someone's going to come and take him away from us um he, he really does seem to me like he's playing above the level of the rest of the team uh, we paid a, a pittance for him, really, both in the season after the summer after Charlton got relegated from the Championship into League One. He came at the same time as Nick Pope, and both of them have been massive successes. I would imagine it was take a really big bid to, to tempt the club into a sale. They're not in a position financially where they need to sell, but if I was a manager at a top half club, that needed a creative winger who can play on either side, take really good set pieces, score goals. I think Goodmanson would certainly be on the list. Yeah, and then Sam, you mentioned him uh, in making the rounds when you brought up uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Hard to imagine it's not him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it has to be him. He can kind of, can't really do any wrong with our uh, with our fan base, I don't think. Um, and he's got the fact that he's an academy product on his side as well. I mean, he does, genuinely seems to be improving with every game. I mean, there's, there's always that joke that goes around about a, play, a right-back getting home, emptying his pockets, you'll find his keys, his wallet, and then someone like Anthony Marshall or something like that. But generally, yesterday, he, he kept him very, very quiet indeed. And going forward now, he just looks more confident as well, which is great to see. That was kind of one of the bugbears which I had with him when he first, when he first came through. Um, was that he'd get into promising positions down the right and kind of his delivery wouldn't be up to scratch. But now we kind of, with each game, he's growing confidence in that department as well. Um, and I think he's becoming a favourite of every fan and of every fan that isn't a Crystal Palace sport as well, given the fantasy points he keeps racking up. <laughs> um, other than him, though, I'd give a big shout out to James Tompkins. Um, he's kind of like an unsung hero for us. Um, and given given even last season, because he's quite an injury, he can, he's known to be quite an injury-prone player. But um, I say keeping him fit is almost important to us as keeping Wilfred Zaha fit. Because when he's out of that back four, it really is noticeable. Um, he's kind of like he's kind of the leader, the one who talks. He's been great for Wan-Bissaka, kind of guiding him and positioning. And um, I think he's been pretty integral to the kind of the good defensive form that we've that we've had recently. Yeah, I think what it's so impressive about Wan-Bissaka is not just the fantasy side, which obviously I'm partial to. <laughs> 
Um, but also, he seems equally adept at getting both forward and actually marking his man back defensively. Uh, just, mm-hmm. just a really talented young player. Mm, for sure. I mean, the th- the, I think I mentioned this last time I was on, but the, every time you think that he's beaten, um, it's actually something which Jonathan Lee said in that article about Sissoko today as well. Just <laughs> one of his legs comes out of nowhere and just makes this incredibly well-timed last-ditch challenge. And um, every time it's kind of something that makes you makes your heart jump into your mouth because you think that he's going to miss time but every single time he seems to win the ball and yeah it's very if there was a player of the season vote now i think he'd win it very comfortably all right and now we will wrap up with match preview steve you mentioned it earlier it's a big one uh tottenham facing inter milan here in midweek uh win and you could make an argument for tottenham advancing out of the champions league lose and any hope of that falls to the wayside what are you expecting to see in this one yeah, exactly. And I, I'll be honest with you, I have more of an eye on next weekend's North London Derby, to be honest with you, Kev. So really, I want to, I want us to get through this game with no major injuries. Um, it's also a situation where, as we were alluding to earlier about the um, uh, European commitments, I definitely don't want us to, to drop down into the, champ, into the uh, Europa League. So I would rather finish bottom of the group if it doesn't look like we're going to be able to go through. Uh, so, you know, it, it, we're stuck, as always. We're stuck, but we're stuck because we couldn't beat PSV in two games, which we should really have done. Uh, if we had if we had taken the six points from, from uh, both those games, uh, we'd have been in a much stronger position now. So We're uh, just the one from Inter. Oh, indeed, absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, you know, we don't want to reopen that old can of worms again, but it's it's this idea of just being in, unable to to manage a game out from a position of strength. And uh, so uh, who knows what's going to happen? I, th- I think it's all or nothing for us at the moment. Uh, either we go for it, we, we beat Inter, we beat Barca and we go through or uh, or we finish bottom of the group and avoid the, the Europa League. Yeah, and the next up is just fortuitous for us scheduling-wise because uh, Jamie and Sam's clubs are playing each other at the weekend. Uh, we'll start with the Burnley side from you, Jamie. Yeah, obviously, really big week for us with uh, Newcastle at home, Crystal Palace away, Seaside uh, just above us in the Premier League table. So it could look a lot better uh, if we get a couple of good results from this. I think four points from the two games would be really solid. If we could win both, that would be fantastic. Two defeats and uh, Burnley fans will start sort of very downbeat. The Crystal Palace game is an interesting one because our, our away record has been fairly terrible in the Premier League, but Sellers Park is one of the few places that we have actually won a Premier League game away from Surf Moor, so um, hopefully the players will have that in their mind that it's, it's not impossible to win away from home. Palace, obviously, in a similar position to us where they're probably underperforming. I'd have expected Palace to be quite clear of the relegation zone. Everyone knows about the reliance on Zaha. There's nothing new to be said there. But I think if if we could get a positive result against Newcastle, we could probably bounce into that game and and keep momentum going. Hopefully the break hasn't come at a bad time for us because it it did feel like we'd start to put the the building box back in place uh, at Leicester before the two-week off. So, yeah, try and stay positive at the moment. But... I think, yeah, four points would be a really good return from those two games. Yeah, and Sam, you're right there level with Burnley on points with nine. Are you hoping for the... Well, that's a stupid thing. I was going to say, are you hoping for a win? No! <laughs> Do you want to win the football? <laughs> I'm, always, um, I'm always fairly apprehensive about playing Burnley, to be honest, because one of my best mates is a uh, is a claret, so there's, there's always bragging oh, rights really? up the grabs. Um, and right. as Jamie alluded to there a couple of years ago, when they, I think it was around... It's been around April. They hadn't won an away game all season. So it was only typical that they came to Sellers Park and won 2-0. Um, so I'm always I'm always fearful of that happening again. But um but no, I mean, as I mentioned before, we've kind of we've come out of this spell now of four really, really tough games against four top six sides. Um and now it's kind of we're getting it is a very big week for us as well. We've got Burnley Brighton away, which is no small matter in itself, followed by West Ham. And then another home game against Leicester. So I mean, after after picking up two points from those four games, albeit we didn't really expect to get much from them, this is kind of the point now where we'll be looking to kind of turn that corner, um, get some wins under our belts. Because if we don't, I think um, pressure will 
start to mount on Hudson because people have already started to sh- started to sh- uh, show a bit of discontent. Uh, we didn't have the hardest start to the season, but it didn't come. We only won two of those games. Um, so now that we're back into sort of what you'd call a more favourable run of fixtures, if we aren't picking up kind of two wins from that, uh, seven points maybe, I think a lot of people will be looking at as a minimum. Fair enough. Uh, and that will wrap things up for us today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Well, thanks for having me on again, Kev. My name's Steve McGookin, and you can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. And if you don't mind, I could just give a, a quick shout out to the great George Best, who uh, died 13 years ago today. And uh, I saw him play many times for Northern Ireland at Windsor Park, along with uh, Pat Jennings, who is the reason I'm a Spurs fan. So God bless you, George. Yeah, thanks for everyone who's listened. I've been Jamie Smith. I support Burnley, but I don't bore on about the Clarets too much on Twitter. You can follow me at Jamie Smith Sports if you wish to do so. Yeah, cheers, Kev, for having me on again. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, I'm Sam Karp and a contributor to the Eagles Beak, the Crystal Palace fan site. And you can find my personal ramblings at Sam double underscore Karp. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can also find my fantasy ramblings over at Goal.com and ESPN.com slash fantasy. So be sure to check out those out if you are so inclined. We also have a championship and a fantasy show that comes out through this very channel. Uh, So if you're interested in either of those things, be sure to give those a listen as well. Uh, Thanks to you three so much for coming on. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.